1: Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so we're gonna go in the wayback machine for a second here because um, I'll tell the audience, and this just means we're getting old, but Brian Katrick and I have known each other. I think it's now almost 24 years that we walked into a building roughly around the same time at a radio station as two complete nobodies looking to do anything to get a leg up. So did I paint that right? 1997, you and I walked through the doors at 790 The Zone just trying to figure out what the hell to do with our lives.
2: Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell a different version. I'm not good with years, um, but, but yes, that sounds right because uh, because I was married in 96, and that's a year I've got to know. Uh, the, the, the version I tell, tell me how far off this is. Um, the station started on a Monday, and I think you and I both called on a Monday. I interviewed on a Tuesday, and I'm assuming you interviewed on a Tuesday, and I started on a Wednesday, and I'm pretty sure you were there. But the number that I called, I called the front desk and asked for the programming director of WQXI, and I got sent to Ike Newkirk, and you you must have asked for the programming director of 790 The Zone. You got sent to Matt Edgar. Both of those things were right. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> we didn't know what we were asking for. So, so we both get hired essentially to do the same thing by two different people, and I remember, this was earlier, tell me if you remember this or not, because my guy actually worked for the station. I was getting paid. Remember, yeah, what a, what a treat like for you! $4 an hour. <laughs> hey, listen.
1: Whatever you were getting was double of what I was getting. Yes, yes. You were an
2: intern, and I was getting $4 an hour, and it was just blind luck. There's nothing. I don't know how we got there.
1: So now here's the funny thing, right? So I had met, and I had a mistake on the podcast before, and I, I reminded him that I met him at a Hawks game several months before they were starting the station, and there were whispers about it happening. That's the only reason that I went To that side of things and you said you'd get an interview I didn't get an interview they put me in that back little prep room that we had I sat there for about 45 minutes until Andrew Saltzman walked in and said what do you do
2: Nice. Well, yeah, I I got uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And and you know, we're, Matt and I are gonna we're going down memory lane here. But the the decisions that got made in that little prep room, or in the in the doorway right in front of it, we're talking four feet from it, or decisions got met, that got made in the hallway during commercial breaks, were life changing and life altering decisions. Yep. And they got made in three minutes in a hallway, usually while while Steak was on the phone with someone else
1: during a commercial break. <laughs> so accurate. It's just, that's so... Now, the, And for whatever reason, our listeners love the reminiscing about that radio station that now is defunct for several years. And I understand why we do, and I'm glad that they do. It was this little, like... You know, engine that could, that made its own way, like you said, without really much thought of the industry and how to go about making those decisions. I don't think any of us BK at the time realized it, but we'll never experience that again being in the middle of that engine that just decided to go whatever direction the wind would blow that day.
2: Oh, you're so right. It was the wild west. I remember how I always felt bad about this for you, except that now you're big time, so I don't feel so bad anymore. Uh, medium uh, size. I remember how the updates started. Do you remember how the updates started? I don't. All right, so we didn't have updates. The, you know, the guys had done updates at the old station, and, you know, they 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 got unceremoniously let go of the old station. That's what started the new station, and there was some vim and vigor in the air. But, you know, pretty much anything the man had told them to do across the street, they weren't going to do at their place, and that included updates. And you didn't have that baggage, and I remember intern Matt Chernoff deciding that we should do updates and the temporary solution was you were going to write them and put them together and you were handing them to AJ cannon who was, who was doing them impromptu based on information you had, you had handed him and, uh, and I thought, wow, man, one guy's doing all the work there, and the other guy is not really even paying much attention. I mean, we, got, we love AJ. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, he had another job, and so some intern hands him a couple of stacks worth of scores, and, you know, hes they, they weren't great updates.
1: No. Uh, yeah.
2: But I, I remember when they refined the process, it was your idea, and you didn't get to do them. Remember, you were one of the early update guys. And I was like, man, that kind of sucks. It was his idea.
1: <laughs> he should have gotten know what? to I mean, do this. I'll say this, and, and you're right, that does suck, but we were given, for a bunch of guys who knew nothing about what we were doing here, write station liners and promos or do updates or go out in the street and, and we're going to do you know, promotion. Again, none of us had any idea what we were doing, but we were given a chance to learn on the fly, which there is something cool about that.
2: Oh, my goodness. So, so the golf show conversation – changed my life. I mean, it changed my entire life. And, uh, and once again, AJ Cannon was involved. And, and so I got married in 96 and my father-in-law played golf. So I didn't play golf. I didn't care about golf. And 97 Tiger wins the masters. The station had started by then. And And all of a sudden, I remember one of those conversations with Evan Crocker out in the hallway, and and Evan Crocker was our sales guy, one of our our big sales guys, and Evan had a client that wanted a golf show. And so, you know, hey, we got him a golf show, and they're looking around, who can do the golf show? And they decide it's going to be either a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning golf show, uh, because there's a sponsor for it. And they're looking around, and once again, they look at A.J. Cannon, and he's going to get the call. A.J. owned clubs. He did play. He's one of the biggest names on the station. Everybody loved him. So we're going to do AJ Cannon, and uh, and it didn't take him long—maybe two commercial breaks later—to realize AJ's not going to show up at nine o'clock on Sunday morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, four o'clock on a Tuesday was a, was a you know flip of a coin.
2: Yeah. So we better, we better at least put somebody else in there with him. And so then they're looking around who wants to do the golf show. And, you know, I didn't care, but my father-in-law played golf. So I was like, I'll do the golf show. It'd be a great chance to brown nose with this guy. And, you know, maybe I'll be looked a little more favorably at at Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, uh, so I start doing the golf show simply because of that, as you might imagine, A.J., was never very regular at nine o'clock on <laughs> Sunday morning. I don't know that he ever made it. Tiger wins the masters. The golf guy gets busy and that decision changed my life. Okay. I want to follow up
1: on that. Cause that's intriguing to me. Two things. And, and I'm not doing this because you're on, I've said this before. I was always amazed by your calm and cool on the radio when you started, because I'll listen to old tapes that are just cringeworthy now. And I found a whole box recently. I still talk fast, but I talked, like Speedy Gonzalez, like I was in a rush, and I, I listened to you back then. How the hell were you so calm and cool, doing that stuff at that at that time in that age?
2: Oh, you're very kind. I don't really know because I you know I always thought your delivery was great. We I thought we all were, were you know your heart's beating a million miles a minute. You're trying to impress because those three minutes in the commercial breaks in the hallway, you know you got the job pretty easily. You could lose the job pretty easily. <laughs> so so the tense you know, the tension was up. You know, I had done the same stuff you had done ahead of time. You know, done done cable access, play by play, and any, anytime there was a microphone, I was talking into it. So I don't know. Maybe I was just lucky. You know, I got great people, and and honestly, when you did get a chance over there, they wanted you to succeed, and maybe I maybe I just sensed that, and uh, and it, it maybe meant a little different something to me than than it did to you. Uh, because I didn't get the sense that they, if, if they gave me the chance, I got the sense they wanted me to, to do well. And I would agree
1: with that. And, and BK, I would agree with that. And, and I guess I would follow it up with we were all very young, and this is before oh, yeah. kids. So we would do any shift at any time. You and, I, <laughs> you and I, I found a tape that I, that I got to send you of you and I doing like a 30 minute Braves postgame after they had lost to the Padres in the playoffs in, I think, 98. But that was like you and I would do 12-minute shows or an eight-minute between the Westwood One and the end of uh, local programming, or you would just take whatever you could get. Because I've always said to people there are two routes, right? You could do the bounce around to seven cities, small markets, or get very lucky like we did in this big market, but do those little gigs for free and never worry about the money. And I don't know about you, but back then I didn't even, like the money was the last thing on my mind. It was getting that experience.
2: Oh, exactly. Yeah, I don't remember that, that Padres show, but I do remember the bit gigs. But you're right. You couldn't ask how much you were getting paid, and people used to, you know, look for advice. And you know, that's my advice: is get get a job that pays the bills that you can work whenever you want, because this other job, I mean, you might have to go prime time you know post-game Braves or whatever it is if you were if you were waiting tables you you couldn't do both of those jobs but the one that paid nothing was way more important than the one that was actually paying
1: well and I love your advice there because I've said the same thing and it's funny I'm sure through your your you know trails along the way to where you are you have asked or been asked what would you tell people and it amazes me how now the the 22 and 23 year old wants to know when they're going to get paid and like significant money and my answer is for the most part, you're not I mean most of us at some point are not gonna make the money and make this a career. so at the beginning, just don't expect it at all.
2: yeah, find something else you can do go cut go cut grass uh maybe maybe I shouldn't be making grass references you know go 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 do something for money and this this will come if you love it, and you gotta be lucky and we've talked about that I mean you know it's a who you know business and and you and I were so lucky to be there when, like I said, it's the Wild West. I mean, there were no rules, and we were thrust right in the middle of it. And, man, you know, you did good, kid. Look well, look where you
1: are now. Right back at you, my friend. And let's talk about, you said the, the golf show became the first break. What was the next break along the way that you said, I didn't expect that door to open, but it did?
2: Oh, it was amazing. So uh, when we started our golf show, uh, over there, it was the third golf show in the market. Danny McNulty was doing one on on WGST, and and the you know th- you know six eighty the fan had a golf show. Doug Hollinsworth was doing it, so we were the third show in the market. And there was a terrestrial group that was running PGA Tour radio at the time. PGA Tour radio had just started, and I say terrestrial because now I'm doing satellite, but they had an actual radio network, and and seven ninety the zone was an affiliate of that. So. So there, there was a crappy golf show or three in every city in the country. But Tiger wins the Masters in 97. PGA Tour Radio is based here in town. They're based in Norcross. I'm living over here in Marietta. They couldn't afford to fly the good guy from Dallas in, you know, the guy that had the really good golf show in New York. They couldn't afford to fly him in to help them out. They needed the kid that would work for nothing that could drive his crappy car over from Marietta. And I just happened to be that guy. And they heard me on that golf show that I shouldn't have been on. So I get the phone call, and I I remember DeWitt Long making the call saying, hey, you know, we've got some extra work around here, and, you know, if you've got some time, I'd I'd love to chat with you about that. I I couldn't believe it and would never have guessed where that would have led because, I mean, you, you remember, you'd go in that room, uh, Braves post game, for example, and if you didn't know the entire history of the Padres bullpen, you were terrified that you weren't going to know something and you were going to be exposed. Well, I had been watching golf at that point for about four months. I was ripe for being exposed. <laughs> Luckily, because Tiger had just won the Masters, the golf audience, the bulk of the golf audience was the same thing. In a lot of ways, I was four months in front of them. So, somehow, was able to go in there and and You know, not embarrass myself long enough to get the job and keep the job, and that's been the job.
1: I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized, why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer, we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home, you see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal, you can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You wanna visit them online, I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads groupcom slash off It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Rhodes-Group.com slash off You can also see the link up at Real Atlanta on Twitter. They're my insurance company they're going to do this at no cost to you and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Roads Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Roads Group is the place you want to go. Tell them
0: Matt sent you go to roads-group.com.
3: dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Well, but that, I mean, to me, that's the fake it till you make it thing, and then figure out what you're
1: doing on the fly, but I always thought you were so smart about the Tiger thing. Like, there are too many people in this business, I think, who try to, like, (laughs) dig deeper than they have to, and I'm not saying you shouldn't cover the other stories, but Tiger was a fascination, unlike anything golf had ever seen, And, and really, like, you start looking back at that time, BK, and it's like Michael Jordan is still at his peak. And, you know, certainly the NFL is, you know, far of an Elway, but Tiger was a sensation. And you grabbed onto it smartly and said, I'm going to make this the base of the, the stories that I cover. And that's what most people who weren't just 100% in love with golf were jumping onto as well.
2: Well, I was very lucky. You know, it's lucky being in the right place at the right time. Plus, also, you think back technologically. And and I was just following the lead that was being shown to me by other folks in the business. So I go over to PGA Tour Radio, and I'm doing updates, and I'm, I'm, you know, helping out with the magazine show and, and everything I can. And, you know, they're keeping all the good projects away from the kid that could ruin them wisely. But at that point in time, the Internet was just becoming a thing. And, and, and Internet broadcasts were just becoming a thing. So they had all this experimental technology that they were that they were developing, and same deal. Hey, we want to do a, a Monday morning 25-minute video show on com about Tiger. Who wants to do that? Uh, you know, all the guys are okay. What's that going to pay? Nothing. Well, I'm out. Well, I was in. You know, I was happy to do it. And every one of these goofy little experiments – First of all, they all stuck because I mean, streaming is the thing, and this was the this was the dawn of it. And they were all based on Tiger. So I was inundated with this, and I realized very early, this guy is paying a lot of bills, not just my bills, not just our our bills at the, at the network. He's paying bills for basically an entire sport right now. And now you look back at it, that's the one thing you hear from everybody is that you know everybody that played during that time, everybody's playing now. Hey, the money is up. Because of that guy, and and you know, it was just to me it was obvious at the time because I was the only reason I was getting these phone calls (laughs) was to do a show about that guy. Uh, They they didn't do that show about Jack or they didn't do it about about Greg Norman. They did it about Tiger, and a lot of it was because all of a sudden now that the technology was there to do an internet video show and people could watch it if they were willing to wait for it to stop buffering. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you well, know, you had to get somebody else off the phone so the internet would stay connected oh um, my goodness yes and and he was an industry and you were again wise to to make that a priority which and i'm sure i've asked you this before what was the first time you had a chance to sit down with him with tiger woods
2: Ooh, good question i would say probably 2000 which which you know 99 uh you know by but 99 he won his second major Two thousand was his big year, and uh, Players Championship in either two thousand or two thousand one. Here I go again, being bad with, with years. It went to a Monday finish. This was the Hal Sutton Players Championship. Actually, Hal beat Tiger, and it was the it was the be the right club today. One one of the more famous things that microphones have caught. You know, Hal hits this great six iron at, at eighteen, and it's a stare down with Tiger Woods, and uh, and he thinks he's hit it good, and he says, be the right club, be the right club today. <laughs> And it was, you know, he hits it to about six feet and he is beaten now, you know, this juggernaut in Tiger Woods and and how, you know, from Shreveport, Louisiana, spent a lot of time in Texas. He's old school. He's won a PGA championship. He's won a players. And uh, he was, he was like, Hey, tone down the hype. You know, no, no man's bigger than the game. And, you know, he was making good points. He didn't hate Tiger, but he'd heard enough and he beat him that day, but it was a Monday finish. So there was no one there. And because there was no one there the intern kid that was <laughs> that was hanging around he had to, everybody else got to go home and, you know, the intern kid got to stick around uh, and I got to talk to him and I liked him and I you know it's not like we're I don't have his phone number we're not we're not besties but there was a respect there and uh, he sensed it and I sensed it and you know it was, it was very nice anytime he saw me and I give a lot of credit to everybody else that, that worked for us. That logo, that PGA Tour Radio logo, we were all business. We weren't going to ask the dumb question, you know, unless we're just an idiot. But we weren't, you know, we weren't going to ask the off-topic question. We were going to ask the, you know, the easy golf question because golf questions for him are easy. We're going to keep it on topic. We're going to talk about that six iron that Hal Sutton just hit. He's fine with that, uh, and we're not ta- We're not talking about whatever the rumor of the day was. And there really weren't a ton of rumors with him back then, but. We're going to keep it on topic. We're going to be on time, and we're going to let him go. And and that was important for him. And you know, we we showed him respect, and he showed us that respect back.
1: So here's the unfair question: because you say it was 2000, the first chance to sit down with him. Well, he had become a sensation already. Oh but, yeah. But nobody could have predicted as transcendent as he became, both in the golf world and then out for other personal reasons. Like, could you have ever, in your wildest dream, imagined this 20 year journey of Tiger Woods?
2: no no and and mostly because the traditional golf, you know, powers, you just couldn't win majors in bunches the way he was winning them. You couldn't dominate. There was always going to be something that was going to stop you or someone that was going to stop you. And once we realized that there wasn't something that was going to be in his way, then there wasn't someone either. You know, he would just melt leaderboards cuz cause, cause guys golf is so ethereal, you know, you've got to believe in yourself and you know that that's that's the frustrating thing about golf is you can you you and I can go play a hole and and you could hit a shot the tiger you know it's better than the one Tiger would hit the problem is you can't do it twice or three times <laughs> you know and that's mm. and and that gets in your head you know and so you you can't outthink it you can't outmuscle it you just gotta kind of go with the flow and. So as the guys are going with the flow, Tiger was in a different flow, and he would, you know, he would just melt leaderboards. You know, he'd he'd come from three and four shots back on Sunday just because guys would see his name, and all of a sudden, well, you know what? Maybe I can't get this up and down. This this will be the one time I don't get it up and down because Tiger's chasing me, and it it had a it was kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. But no, nobody saw that level of domination the game has never seen that level of domination and probably won't ever see that level of domination by one guy it was crazy
1: well it had a mike tyson feel and i like the way you described it on sunday the intimidation factor of tiger in the red and if he's two strokes back or two strikes up uh, two strokes up you would see just guys the intimidation would eat them alive which kind of brings me to my next point so you've probably sat down with him dozens of times since as athletes' careers go along, and very few are, as I said, transcendent as he is, did you see a change in personality? Did it look like he lost some of the love? Did you realize as the as the injuries were mounting up, he just wasn't that same guy, that same enthusiasm that you saw early on?
2: No, I didn't. It's a great question. And the reason why I didn't is because that's a side of him that he kept locked, locked up. Uh, he, he'll still sit there at the podium and say, you know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I could win. And it's, it's actually more true now than it probably has been. Even if he knows that he's, he's a little hurt, if he doesn't think he can win, he's just not going to play. <laughs> you know, he, does, he doesn't have that many starts left, so he still has that fire. But the one thing I did see change over the years that I thought was, was kind of cool, I mean, there was always a Tiger that, that when the mics were off, which was very, very small percentage of the time, the guy was funny. You'd love him, Matt. He would love you. You you would have a blast if you could ever sit back and have a beer with him. But you can't because he's Tiger Woods. He can't. He doesn't have five minutes to himself. As soon as he tries to sit back and have that beer with you within five minutes, 10 more people are going to come up to him, and they want their five minutes with Tiger Woods. And that's an existence that he's lived pretty much since he turned you know, since he turned 16, really, since he won the Masters in 97. So So he can't. And every once in a while, I would get that little piece of his time, and and he was wickedly funny uh, when when he had those little moments. So so I've definitely seen he's better at turning it off now, and he's funnier now because they played the perfect card with him in his career, and I don't know that I would have done it any differently. Uh, but you know, his agent, his handlers, the folks, he was perfect, and so they decided to let him be perfect. Well, that's what you saw with the HBO documentary was that he was probably never perfect. His father was never perfect. None of us are perfect. And, and so that was a that was a tough role to cast him in. So because of that, you had a lot of folks, you know, kind of loading up the boot. That, well, I can't wait to get this guy because he's not so perfect. Well, it really wasn't his idea to begin with. And that's one of the reasons why the fall was so precipitous when it actually happened. Now that that's off his shoulders and he doesn't have to be perfect – he's a whole lot you can just see it he's a whole lot more relaxed he's quicker with the jokes the jokes are a little bit more pointed uh you know he's just he's get. he's that much more of one of the guys because he still still can't quite be that but he's a lot closer to it than he's ever been
1: no if you're right no one asked you about the documentary but it seems like he's more free with all this stuff now that he's had to go through and come out the other side
2: well Imagine imagine if everybody, you know, you and I went through this from, from those intern spots to then all of a sudden you're on the radio and, and what happened? We remember we used to have the message boards and, and on, on the channel, on the station's message boards, you know, we sucked. And that's it's all, everybody sucked. And I remember Nick, Nick still does, he still does interact. <laughs> but we, I couldn't imagine the guy had the balls to interact because they're just going to tell you you suck and you can't win. Well, what Tiger is at, where Tiger is now is everybody in the world has already said the worst thing they can possibly say about him. They got nothing left. He has heard everybody's best shot, and he's come out the other side. And, you know, that's, I guess that's a pretty nice place to be. I, I wouldn't mean, want to go through it. But no, but nice you're right. And
1: the image he didn't craft, they crafted it of him, and that's just what happens when you get to that level of fame and endorsements and just what he was going to do. In every, you know, sport, especially when you're as closely tied to it as you were, did you guys get any whispers of the Earl stuff or uh you know, personal life or anything that, oh, this could be coming out at some point. Was that ever behind the scenes starting to make rounds?
2: No. Didn't hear a word. Well now now Earl was different, right? So so the writers, the old school writers hated Earl from the get go. From from Tiger winning that first US amateur at the Newport Country Club. Uh and that, I think you see some of that in the documentary. I know they covered it in the book. I don't get HBO, so it's, so I'm not making a, a moral decision not to watch this. I don't get the channel.
1: Well, what they did but with I, Earl is they, they painted a picture of sort of, and I'll let you finish, but a, a, a dominant figure who had a plan for Tiger from the time he was two, um, but walked this strange line of, I want to be your best friend, but also make sure you follow the plan I have for you, and then it chronicled the – you know, the, the the sad stories of Tiger seeing his dad as an adulterer and, you know, living that life that no son should leave with his father and crossing these weird sort of, like, streams that had an effect on Tiger. And, and that's what I was kind of getting at. I just I wondered how much of any of that stuff anybody within the tour or the media knew.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think they all knew that Earl... You know, wasn't a saint, and and they probably to varying levels had had varying stories of that. Because again, we Tiger won three straight U.S. amateurs, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen years old. Uh, he didn't win the Masters till he was twenty one, but he was house, he was a household name really by sixteen, seventeen, and 18 but he wasn't you know you're sitting at the podium after winning a u.s amateur there's a significant media presence there now you and i weren't covering it because we were covering the padres game but there's a significant media presence and and it's honestly it's a, it comes after a cocktail party so if your dad has had a few too many drinks and he's really proud because you were you know that, that's that was a major when bobby jones won it it was a major championship so your son's winning a major when Jack won the Masters in '86, they were still counting his his amateurs as major championships. It wasn't until Tiger won one more than Jack that they stopped doing that. I wonder why that was. Funny, but you know. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, so here's Earl, and maybe he has won too many pops, and and now he's he has something to say about the the you know the waitress that's there, and and the writers are there and And they largely were able to ignore it because they felt sympathy for the kid, but it was now that's why you're seeing the stories come out now, and you didn't hear the stories come out then because they were on Tiger's side then uh through all this, you know they all thought they were going to get to write the book, and you know they still haven't there hasn't been a book. Tiger hasn't put a book out uh, he's finally commissioned one and I, I think he's doing it himself. so once the writers realized they weren't going to get to to write the book and they weren't going to get this big payday. Uh, then they started to turn on him. Mean, it became easier to to go against him. And obviously, this is a gigantic scandal. It was the biggest scandal in sports while it was going on. Uh, and then you could gradually say, as you pointed out, that's good observation. Hey, let's go back. Really, really, you could point to the father. Well, Tiger doesn't want that. You know, that's not cool. You don't want you don't want somebody making taking shots at your dad, even if even if he was a schmuck. So, uh, we did. In answer to your question. I never heard any of that because I didn't cover Tiger as an amateur and by the time he was winning events as a professional, Earl was not in the press conference situation anymore. You know, that wasn't I didn't see him at home, I didn't see him at restaurants, I didn't see him in press conferences. So Earl was was taken out of the public spotlight.
1: Uh, one, more, the time, uh, one more Oh, I'm sorry. Let me ask you one more thing about Tiger cuz I want to bring this back to you, but what did you notice through the years about either Tiger's relationships with other players on the tour and how they viewed him because in the documentary, Brian, they did a great job of pointing out how Tiger, in his heyday, wanted nothing to do with any sort of interaction with anybody he was competing with. But now, in his later years, they even showed a couple of great you know, images of him having some fun on the course in the midst of tournaments, and it's just a complete change in his personality towards them. So how did they view Tiger through the years?
2: I think some of them get it and some of them don't and I think you hear different stories from everybody and I don't know that that's completely accurate the way they portrayed that and this this was this you know this special is the same book you know they had the book that came out three or four years ago so I went through the book when it came out uh Tiger didn't he wasn't a locker room guy he'd come out of the parking lot with his spikes on you know and and most of it was not because he was trying to avoid the players it was because he was trying to not stop walking as soon as he stopped walking there was a crush uh, and if you, you know, there were, there's little kids trying to get autographs signed, and you know, as soon as he stopped, if it was one of those, you know, temporary fences, if he stopped to sign one, here comes everybody from behind, and little kids are getting squished. Well, it only takes you one time hearing that before you realize, look, I can't, I can't stop. And so he would make sure that he would go from station to station as quickly as, as possible with as little interaction as possible. he wasn't. Because of that, he wasn't in the locker room. Now, you talk to guys that were friends of his at Isleworth, guys like John Cook and Marco Mira. You, you met him at home. Isleworth was private. Back of the driving range, front of the driving range, grill room, whatever it was, they say he was one of the guys there because there weren't 10 people lined up trying to get a piece of him. There were probably only three people lined up trying to get a piece of him. So I really I can't overstate how tedious of an existence that is for a guy that just if there's a chance the public eye is on him he cannot get a moment alone and I think that is more why he interacted the way he did on tour versus you know he he wasn't trying to keep secrets hey you want you you want to beat me I, I just hit it 340 in the air <laughs> I carried that bunker so uh, good luck with that that's my secret <laughs> go go get him <laughs> Sparky.
1: I wanna talk about one of our great sponsors at the Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal, you can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online, I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Rhodes-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Atlanta on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads groupcom
0: slash churnoff. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY. And there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like.
3: And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Was it jealousy? Was it
1: reverence? Was it players impressed? Were they mad at all the attention? Like, what do you think the general feel from those who weren't in a small inner circle felt?
2: It was a mix. Right? I mean, I think it was a mix. So one of the things – here's a small example. One of the things that, that happens if you have a charity event, Stuart Sink, you know, a friend of us, a friend of ours here in the city, had a charity event for years. And, and one of the things he would have is, is signed memorabilia. So at some point during the year, Stuart would put some things out in the locker room somewhere. Hey, sign this. It's for my charity. And the guys just did it. You know, that's just – you just do it. And, and the guys would actually help each other out. I'll go to your event if you come to my event. And that's just, it's kind of a quid pro quo, and it's unspoken, and it just happens. Well, Tiger didn't sign a lot of that stuff because he wasn't in the locker room. And then, obviously, there was such a big secondary market. There was a big story about how he, he signed a Titleist golf ball when he was playing a Nike golf ball. And that Titleist golf ball got, got stuck on uh, on the secondary market, and there was all kinds of... Hullabaloo and Nike's, you know, screaming at him. Why are you signing somebody else's golf ball? You just you couldn't win for losing. So the players that understood that, they they got it. And, and but there were players that were miffed. Hey, you know, I had an event. He didn't sign my flag, and I would have signed his flag. And that's just unprofessional. Well, you know, I get it. I understand where you got that idea from. But you got to understand this guy was, you know, it was a little. It, was a little, it wasn't he wasn't playing by a different set of rules it was just a little different situation. And I don't think anybody would have, would have been it very different than, than he was.
1: No, I agree. Yeah. I think it said, well, um, so through your journey of, of being at the biggest events, whether it's masters or us opens or any of those things, who are some of the people that you thought you would never have a chance to cross paths with out outside the golf world that you've had those opportunities to be around
2: outside the golf world. Yeah. Um, got to meet Bill Murray and hang out with him and, uh, and saw him, you know, saw him being, being civil He's another guy that really can't turn it off. Right. You see Bill Murray, everybody expects. And that's why all the reports of interactions with Bill Murray are, are so odd yeah. because you don't really know what to expect. And, you know, I'm not working. I'm just trying to get a pizza and go home. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really have anything. I'm not going to sing star Wars to you right now. I'm just going to get my pizza and go home. Um, uh, I remember going to the Ryder Cup, oh somewhere. I don't even remember which one. And uh, and here comes this dude. I, I was actually kind of. St- I stepped forward a little bit, and when I I, you know, I called the shot, and I stepped back, and I stepped back, and Michael Jordan is standing right next to me. <laughs> He's just right there, <laughs> and he came to me for a lot of the same reason that you know the the, the tiger would kind of hang out because I had a a headset on I had a microphone and he could stand right next to me and he knew I wasn't going to talk to him because I was busy and that's what he wanted he wanted to stand next to somebody that wasn't going to talk to him because he's Michael Jordan
1: (laughs) is he he left alone within those galleries though what's that like for Michael
2: uh no he's not um this one was in see now you're it was at Glen Eagles in Scotland and uh and you know they still knew who he was now nobody was coming up to him with the with the poster from the dunk contest you know when he's dunking off the free throw line they don't have that in scotland uh but they still knew who he was and uh know i think he embraced that i I don't think he michael was pretty good at at ignoring you and walking away if he wanted to that's great uh
1: give me two or three places you mentioned scotland coolest places you have had to travel or got to travel because of this job
2: yeah, and Scotland is, is going to be on everybody's list. I won a won a, go- a golf tournament with a, a teammate, and we got to represent Team USA, and we got to go to Portugal uh, a couple years ago, and uh, that was really nice. I mean, they, uh, it was it was ridiculous. There was a flag ceremony, and we're walking through the middle of Portimao and a little parade, holding the American <laughs> flags, just me and Wes, and the the mayor of Portimao is is somewhat attractive i gotta be honest with you and <laughs> apparently the wine in portugal a little stronger than than whatever my partner thought it was going to be so my partner gets all tanked up and he's taking shots at the mayor of oh, the no. city that no. we're in oh it was oh, fantastic no. oh, i mean you can't coach that no. man. i love that
1: and it's <laughs> viral written all over it if it hits the uh, if it hits the internet yeah, yeah. um as we uh, as we wrap up then and I always love to – this is this is where we get deep. This is very Barbara Walters. Okay. Uh, t- Ten years from now, 15 years from now, where is Brian Katrick, and what's he doing?
2: Oof. Hopefully he's still employed. Almost certainly, though, he's living in uh, some sort of hole of shame for something that he tweeted. Uh <laughs> because isn't that how it's going to end for all of us it's going
1: to get us at some point right
2: (laughs) yes and i hope not so so tiger's 45 i don't think he's going to play much golf over the age of 50 so 10 years from now uh hopefully the game has found a way to transcend his uh you know his presence i think the game's in great shape and hopefully uh Hopefully I'm still doing that and still sharing Tiger stories and people want to hear them. There are still guys out there today covering the game that are sharing stories about Jack and Arnold and people want to hear those. So if I'm if I'm the guy telling old time stories about Tiger, that would be great. And uh, also, hopefully by then, uh, my Kennesaw State University Owls have about four or five championship rings and we're still we're still doing those games uh, once or twice a year.
1: All right, so let's end with where we started, because you used a name. that You said you called WQXI to talk to Ike Newkirk, who was the program director. And and this is going to be so inside, but I don't care. You did the the greatest Ike Newkirk impression, who was not only the program director (laughs) at the old WQXI, but he hosted a Sunday morning, because everybody had to have one of these um, public uh, service kind of like shows, and he would just take calls blindly, right? And he would be very calm on the air but off the air it was this personality that around the radio station we did nothing but laugh with and laugh at but you did this like newker compression that was like dead on so end with that for me and give me some ike because i've missed it
2: so the so the ike as as he would be on until 9 a.m on sunday morning we'd come in and the golf show was next so he was as dignified as you could ever imagine on the air. And he would have inspirational words at the end of his show. And he, he would he would have those words. And then, until the next time, on the morrow, you be better than the next guy. Do better because you owe it to yourself in this world. I'm, Oprah. I'm Mike Newkirk. Good day now. And then he would fade up the music. I would open up the door because the light would go off.
0: Brad, how you doing? What's going on, baby? We're talking
2: about some Tiger Woods.
1: He would have that laugh.
2: (laughs) Oh, the laugh.
1: (laughs) Hey, Ike, how was the show? Oh, you know. (laughs) He was the the greatest. I love that guy. He he looked at us, and rightly so, as a bunch of, like, pains and you know what who were ruining what was once this great heritage (laughs) radio station and ruining his daily life by just getting in the way
2: yeah you go back go back to the beginning right you know he was handed the keys by guys that were dignified and were radio lifers and he handed the keys to guys like uh scott trask you know another guy that's a radio lifer and he was dignified ex-military he's never going to ruin anything and then then he looks at us and he's i'm I'm re- I'm really going to have to hand the keys to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this renegade group of just, oh, I love it. Hey, I, I could not be any happier for uh, your success. I, I love listening to your stuff, and uh, it's been fun. I, I can't believe it's gone this quick, and uh, I, I wish you nothing but success and uh, health and happiness to the family moving forward, and let's uh, catch up again soon.
2: We're the old guys. But look, right back at you. You know, you, you took the bull by the horns. People don't know this about Matt Chernoff, but Matt Chernoff is pretty. And he took advantage of that. And you were a TV guy. Oh, yeah. And you were CSS. <laughs> and they, they rode you and... Man, I was I was so proud of you. I was like, man, that guy was an intern. Nobody even wanted to hear it because you were the face of the network.
1: Another and I thought network you did I great. killed along the way, yes. Well, another, <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess The tragedy so, that
1: I've, I've left in my career. Hey, BK, it's good talking to you, my friend. Be well. Likewise, Maddie. Thanks, man. Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to the great folks at the Rhodes Group. Remember, the Rhodes Group is where you want to go to have them shop your insurance rates, both car and home. They did it for me. At no cost. They will do it for you at no cost, and they can save you a bundle of money. You have nothing to lose and only something to gain with the Rhodes Group. You can go to the Rhodes Group, uh, check out their great website, and go to my Twitter page and find out the information there with a landing page right over to find out how they can get you 10 quotes as quickly as 10 minutes. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast, and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madlanta. Welcome to Atlanta, where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big
0: beats, hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till eight in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta, where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats, hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties.
3: 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best.